This is Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Well, I've got a full show for you this week. Um, first and foremost, I'll tell you about the guests that are going to be joining us. I've got uh, John Carlos Afidis. You'll know the name. He is from Build. And um, they pretty much are the association for all building renovations in uh, the GTA area as well as Ontario. And we're going to be talking about a new platform that they're looking at and what they're expecting from municipalities. And uh, it's interesting because one of the biggest things, of course, we have is an inventory issue. Even though the market can say that it's down, we're still short on the number of properties that are going to uh, be needed to meet the demands of the upcoming population growth. Uh, A little bit later on in the hour, I'm also going to have Greg Bennell from BNN Bloomberg join me. Uh, You can tune in to Greg on the network. He is uh, is the host of The Real Economy, 2 p.m.'s Monday to Friday. And uh, one of the things I do want to talk to you about, because this has been one heck of a week in the news, so many things that we can have a chat about. But I want to start off by uh, talking about a story that has been evolving all week. And of course, if you've been catching any of the headlines or any of the news, it's about a 30-year-old man speaking out about being evicted from his parents' house. And you know what? I have to tell you, I wanted to follow this because I found this very interesting. And of course, I don't want to beat up on millennials, but you know, it's time for people to get out. You're 30. And when you start filing in all the excuses about, you know, why you're not taking a job and everything else. So this this gentleman, uh, he was living in his parents' house, I believe for about eight years. And his parents kept saying, listen, we'll even give you some money to move out, but we don't want you living here anymore. It's time for you to go out on your own and apparently um, he is uh, I don't know if he's separated or divorced but he does have a child does not have custody in fact does not see the child but he was using that as his excuse about becoming a father and working towards being a father Um, but on the same token he wasn't working and at the end of the day the parents just said listen enough is enough and it's time for you to leave well they had to go to court and of course the judge turned around and I wish that the, the landlord tenant boards would uh, grab this throughout the world. And they said, yep, you have the right to evict this person. They need to get out of your house. And I know a lot of people are saying, hang on, Todd, would you evict your child? If my child was living as an adult for seven years and not having a job and not doing anything around the house, yes, I would. And she knows it and she's eight. So at the end of the day, though, we have to think about what we're dealing with here. And this is one of those problems that will continue to occur is that at what point is it time for your children or somebody that you've got living with you, what time is it to leave? And again, this is not a landlord situation, but they actually were able to get a judge to agree that he can be evicted. And of course, he turned around and his response was, well, I need at least six months to prepare for me to leave. And meanwhile, the parents had offered to give him his first month's rent and, you know, go get a job and and, and do something. So in the end, there was actually a pizza company that offered him a job and $1 more than his parents did. And he said, look, we're going to support millennials. You know, you're, 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 you're getting dissed by your parents. So what kind of precedence does this set when we talk about properties? Because a lot of times people will turn around and they will, you know, 
let a family member stay with them. At what point do you have to look at them or start treating them like a landlord-tenant situation? And this is one of those things that I think is going to become more precarious over the next few years where people will finally say, listen, it's time for them to get out. This does set a precedence. And it was, you know, it's been in the media all week long. And it's one of those situations that we have to start asking ourselves, at what point is it that we should have people live with us or not? And what is their expectation when they move out? So what are you looking at? When people talk about affordability, what is it that they're affording? So what kind of, uh, you know, is it an apartment that they want to rent? Is it a basement apartment that they want to rent? What is affordable? When the stats came out this week, uh, we heard that the average one-bedroom apartment, so not condo, apartment rental, is $1,200. The average one-bedroom condo rental is $1,700. And I wanted to make some clarity on this for our listeners' sake. The difference between apartment and condo is lifestyle. So when we talk about condos, these typically have more amenities. Uh, In more cases, they are newer. You know, they are probably a lot nicer inside, meaning you've got better fit and finishes. And it's $1,700 a month, let's say, on the average. And in, in, in the, you know, the better neighborhoods, of course, 18, 19, and up to 2,000. So the question is, is that if you can afford an apartment, but you want to live in a condo, does that mean you should stay put or should you actually you know, move out and actually start making things happen? And this is the hardest thing I think that we're going to face over the next 10 years when we talk about things such as affordability, wages, and what people should be doing. So $1,200 is your average one bedroom apartment, 17 is your average one bedroom condo. So is it a lifestyle that everybody's expecting? Well, then maybe we need to lower our expectations because there is still affordability out there. And I think that people need to focus on that. Not everything costs $2,000 a month. People can live somewhere, may not be perfect. It may not be the nicest of buildings and meaning that doesn't have all the amenities and there's not a concierge greeting you on your way in. But this is one of the things that I think we need to be concerned about is that there is an expectation, a level of expectation nowadays that you have to have the latest, greatest, newest and best. And at this stage, we have to look at things saying, look, you can turn around and buy, you know, an older condominium that is affordable but it needs some work inside. So you go do your paint, you do your, you put in your new floors, and all of a sudden you've got something and you've made some equity. I think that everybody has to watch the movie Failure to Launch, and maybe that's going to help them understand what I'm trying to get at here. You can always get the, the ball rolling, and the, the stagnation of this story was actually the thing that I wanted to bring up. I was a little bit surprised at it. Um, you can always treat the kids like a tenant, you could create the basement apartment, have them sign a lease, have them pay your rent, and so sooner or later, they're going to realize that they can do the same somewhere else without their parents watching over them. And that might be something for people to start implementing when you have adult children living with you. Get them to sign a lease. You know what? That way you can turn around and say month to month, no problem. You want to give us notice? We want, we're going to do owner-occupied because we want to use the basement? No problem. Here you go. 60 days and you're out. Anyways, what else is going on? Well, a lot in the news this week. We're talking about the banks. They're making a, a boatload of money, by the way. Uh, gee, they beat expectations. Go figure. Um, you know, this is one of those things that right now, the with the increase in interest rates and the banks having the stress test, which is keeping a lot of people kind of parked uh, in at the same lender, this is 
is uh, this is going to make the bank's profits go up. Uh, I'm going to talk to Greg about it a little bit later on in the hour because I think it's important that we all understand what is going on in the marketplace. Um, if you remember last week, I had Tim Hudak on. He is the uh, CEO of the Ontario Real Estate Association. And right now uh, in the news, they were there was a report released that uh, Ryerson study says millennials struggling to find more moderately priced houses. And by the way, this uh, this was uh, this event that this uh, this study was launched at was actually sponsored by Aria and if you remember from last week's show we actually had uh, also a real estate specialist on because we were talking about the problem between uh, TREB Toronto Real Estate Board and Ontario Real Estate Association because they weren't agreeing that the information or the message that they were sending is like let's make housing affordable everybody should be able to afford a housing it's almost like they were trying to create the stigma around the marketplace that it's not affordable there is affordability you just have to decide what it is that you want because there's still affordability in the marketplace you kind of have to look for it have to turn a few stones so right now um, you know in in headlines report backs Aria's concern and I don't know if I agree with the tack that's being taken here I think that we we need to still mandate that we need more supply and instead of saying that we've got to beat down the prices because remember when prices go down and we're talking about the baby boom ownership this is your retirement that you're dealing with a lot of people have owned their houses for years they've had increase in equity and every time you know the government forces the price down they are now affecting your asset and this is the problem that I've had from day one with this existing government that they have no problem saying you baby boomer must make your home affordable for new Millennials and I'm sorry I disagree 100% with that mindset I think what has to happen is that the builders have to be given incentives to build new properties for Millennials that can be affordable as opposed to saying let's beat down on this side of the coin so that this other side of the coin can afford it um, what else is going on in the market well Right now, if we start saying that the stress test is not to blame, uh, recently there was an article out that saying that it's not. It's not the thing killing the housing market. In fact, that uh, you know the market itself is adjusting. Well, the numbers remain down, but we're we're waiting for that bounce back that the Bank of Canada had promised us. We haven't seen it yet, and we don't have the numbers for the month of May uh, next week. You'll be able to tune in the show. I hopefully I will have the exact numbers for you because it's going to be very important that everybody knows what's going on in the marketplace but I think the numbers will still remain down year over year and we haven't seen the big spring lift that we were hoping this is the problem that um, it, it's a little bit delayed right now and you know one of the things that we have to look at is we see more and more open house signs we do see houses selling and there are some that are selling in multiple offers so there's still a demand for certain neighborhoods but a lot of people are sitting on the fence both buyer and sellers there's a lot of sellers that are not putting their houses into the market and my advice last week was if you do not have to sell meaning if it's more that it's a want not a need then do not sell right now wait for the market to change wait for it to get stronger we're probably not going to see much more of the bottom drop out but at the same time if you truly want to benefit from an upswing in the market or at least kind of a stabilization in your price you can wait it out that's one of the things that you should be able to do 
So, uh, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, coming up, I'm going to have John uh, Carlo joining me in a minute here in studio. And um, one of the things that I think we we have to keep in mind with the upcoming election is the fact that we need a government that is going to allow builders to build. You know, it's not about the builders making money. It's about the builders providing inventory. There's no other way for us to get inventory unless we start adding to the actual, you know, population of properties. And I think that this is going to be so important. So remember, coming up uh, in the next couple of weeks, we've got the uh, provincial vote. Make sure you vote. Uh, either way, it doesn't matter what party. It's, you know, whatever one you think is going to best support your needs. But from a real estate perspective, you know what? I definitely want a party that's going to be open-minded and encourage the, uh, the idea of development. I think that's going to be very important. So, coming up after the break, stay with me. I've got John Carlo. We'll be right back after this. Now, more of Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Hey, and welcome back. So, my guest joining me in the studio today, uh, he's no stranger to the show. I've had him on a few times, and it's John Carlo uh, Sofitas. And he is from uh, Build. He's also uh, a contractor uh, with. I, I, did you, you've got decades of experience, don't you? Uh, yeah, it adds up. <laughs> it does add up pretty well. Hey, listen, welcome back to the show. I'm glad to have you uh, It's today. a pleasure to be here, Tom. And, you know, you and I have uh, just, it's kind of funny because we have, you know, similar backgrounds, you know, just pretty much grinding it out in the construction business, you know. And it's interesting because being part of Build, and before, before I get down too far down the road, can you tell everyone who Build is? BUILD is an acronym for the Building Industry and Land Development Association. So we represent all the uh, the big builders and the professional renovation industry and uh, all kinds of other participants in the industry like financial service providers, your sub-trades, basically most people that participate in the real estate development industry. Right. Um, how many members do you have? We have about 1,500 members. 1,500 members of BUILD. Now, the uh, the actual construction industry in Ontario, or for that matter, the GTA, how many people does that employ? Oh, now, I mean, you, you've had some pretty lofty numbers. We've got, well, it depends on, on whose stats you look at, but if you look at uh, StatsCan and CMHC, in, in Toronto alone, the renovation industry is over $5 billion. You combine that, sorry, over $9 billion. Right. Right. That's just renovation. Sure. In the GTA. So from a nationwide standpoint, renovation is the biggest industry in the country. The only problem is it's so fragmented. There's so many participants in it. We are larger than the auto industry. Wow. And, you know, it's kind of funny because we're, we're listening to all this disruption in the news about, you know, President Trump and Mexico and Canada talking about, you know, the auto industry and how it, it almost sounds like they think the world revolves around that. But as you said, in Canada, at least, you know, the building industry, uh, renovation industry, biggest employer, and there's more dollars being spent in overall in both the construction of new homes and the renovation of old homes. And you're so right. Not only were the biggest employer, we're the biggest contributor to local economies. And certainly from a tax revenue standpoint, government should take note of that. 
So you can't keep taxing the industry. At some point, the golden goose is just going to give up. <laughs> okay, so speaking of that, okay, that was a perfect segue into what you and I, uh, you know, I was hoping that you and I can have uh, a long discussion because, again, Build is Build has always been obviously a supporter of uh, of employment. Uh, they are a huge supporter of doing things correctly. I know that um, when you're a member of Build, if you're you know any form of contractor, you know having the correct licenses and permits and everything that gets done in the industry you know it's, it's, it can be very well regulated some of it is not you know as as we've seen obviously from those <laughs> you know so they, they make entire shows out of it and of course people make careers talking about it but sure where you can build a house in half an hour yes we we we're aware of those shows yeah aren't those interesting <laughs> you know and and it's amazing because you know at, at one point it's like oh this is a $15,000 renovation but when you get the bill it's 45 yeah you know it's it's one of those things and I, I'm, I'm gonna talk to you a little bit later about that kind of stuff because people need to know how they are going to you know perform a renovation or a new home construction I think those are that's you know very good for us to all understand that but um, recently uh, build put out this really neat thing it says our plan for where people can own a home live work and play for growth in the GTA 2018 so you 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 know thankfully you brought this to me and um, you're talking about the the idea here that you know by 2041 we're going to have 9.7 million people in the GTA. Now, I know that sounds like a long way away for some people, but it really isn't. I mean, no, that's it's not. 20, you know, 23 years from now. It's a generation uh, from now. Yeah, one generation and 9.7 million people. Where are they going to live? And that is the $64,000 question. Where are they going to live? Yeah, and, where are they going to live? Because uh, this, is, this, is, this is massive in the, in, in the news right now. Todd, with, as you're apt to do within one sentence, you've captured the entire crux of the problem. So we have about 120,000 people moving into the GTA every year. That would necessitate a household formation rate of about 55,000. We're building nowhere near 55,000 housing units a year. So that's right. Where are they going to live? You know, you, 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 I'm glad you touched on that because this week in the Toronto Star, and yeah, you know what? It works as a good birdcage liner, but at the same time, there are some interesting articles in the Star. And it says, new home sales hit a record 20-year low. And so right now they're saying that uh, in the building industry, the new home construction is being affected by many of the same factors that have led to the sluggish 2018 in resale real estate. But right now it's dropped 20 year low, but yet the demand of people coming in continues to, to grow. Why? Why the low? Well, the low is because governments at all levels have done everything they can to quell the demand side of the equation. So, and you know, we understand that it's, it's, we're reasonable people. I mean, no one wanted a real estate bubble because we know what the consequences of a burst bubble can be. And we have to acknowledge that 2017 was a bit of an anomaly. It was sure, tremendous activity. Really only three, only three months, really, was, was the real you it know, was staggering first quarter, quarter, yeah, right? Fe yeah, February, yeah. March, April, you know, that was the real staggering thing. And, and we recognize that that's an unsustainable pace. That can't go on forever. Whatever happened, the market was going to slow down inevitably. But what you had was, again, between the 16-point plan of the provincial government, the federal stress test for mortgage, and then the municipalities with all the bureaucracy and red tape that they're imposing, yes, the market, they looked at the demand side, but how about the supply side? And let's get back to the question, where are all these people going to live? Sure. So what are we doing on the supply side of things? 
And I think that's the crux of the question. If you really want to tackle the affordability problem, you have to look at the supply side of the equation. And governments have not been looking at that. You know, and, and, and I'm going to talk more about that with you for sure. And we don't have to get too political, but when we talk about the government and the amount of, of red tape that they're going through, if somebody decided that, you know, let's say a corporation decided to put a shovel in the ground in Toronto right now, let's say they bought one of the, you know, two-acre properties that could, they could put a, you know, 80-story building on, from start to finish, how long? <laughs> Well, if you're a big developer and you want to do a low-rise project, you could be facing about 10 years by the time you get the necessary permits and go through the process. For high-rise projects, it's a little less. Oh, but don't get too encouraged because it's only seven years. So, I mean, this is part of the issue. The industry is so regulated. And, you know, there's pros and cons to that, and you could speak on either side of that. But regulation, fine. But at the end of the day, we have to be practical. How long can it possibly take to go through a process? It shouldn't take seven years. You know, we need to house people. We need to get projects on the ground. And we need to generate revenue for government. These are tax revenues that are being forestalled by these unnecessary long delays and processes. Yeah. Listen, I'm going to have you hang on. Um, you know, I, I do want to address this uh, more when we come back. So folks, stay with me. I'll be right back with John Carlos Tatis. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, right now in the studio with me is Mr. John Carlos Safitas, and he is from an industry called BUILD. And BUILD, of course, is the acronym for the Building Industry and Land Development Thank Association. You. <laughs> <laughs> always, I always get caught on that one because I, I think of spelling BUILD, the, you know, the B-U, not the B-I. So. Well, you know, our tagline is the only thing missing is you. Oh, nice. <laughs> Nice. Um, so just before the break, you and I were having a chat about, you know, the process of some of these big developers coming in, trying to either do kind of a mid-rise to a high-rise in the time. And you mentioned that, you know, between seven and ten years from start to finish. With if, if, we, if we had no permits in place right now, so seven years from now, that's 700,000 more people, technically, maybe even more, maybe 800, uh, that will move into the GTA. It doesn't make sense how we're going to keep up with this demand. And so I know now that we are coming up to a provincial election, and by the way, uh, everybody knows my opinion on this, uh, definitely the current government is not doing everything they can to assist in the increase of inventory. They're doing everything to affect you, your asset, and bring down its value. But we'll save that for another rent. Um, Anyways, (laughs) but right now with these latest, you know, the the new elections coming in, municipalities, um, BUILD actually has a a four-point plan on how municipalities can increase housing affordability and supply. I almost want to say supply and then affordability because I think I think supply has to come first before we can talk about affordability. And you're so right. They go hand in hand. If you increase the supply of houses on the market, that's going to have a positive effect on the affordability aspects of a home. And not only that, it's a matter of choice as well. You know, not everyone wants to live in condos. So let's make sure that we have 
the necessary supply and variety of housing types. I mean, we often hear about the missing middle. This is the new catchphrase these days. Yeah. Well, what is that? That's, you know, townhomes, that's row housing, that's semi-detached. That's the missing middle that we need to address as well. Well, you know, one of the things, obviously, that if we're talking about the core of Toronto, you know, it's really hard to build any of that. Let's be realistic. You know, you, you, if, if you have a quarter of an acre, you're going to want to build something up if you can. You know, they're, they're fitting things on postage stamp lots nowadays. But the truth is, is that, you know, do you put up 10 townhomes or do you put up, you know, a 30-story building? Well, and herein lies the rub, Todd, because the provincial government is mandating all these intensification policies, it's, and it's in their policy statement. And then when you go and try to implement that, you confront what we call NIMBYism, not in my backyard. <laughs> so, and then, so we're stuck between all these neighborhood groups that don't want this intensification and the industry who was trying to implement provincial government-stated policy. And where's the municipality in this? You know, the municipality has all these official plans, which many times are not in conformance with provincial government policy statements, outdated zoning bylaws that go back to the 50s that are not reflective of the way people live their lives and of the demand on the housing market right now. So there's a whole host of issues that you've touched upon. And, uh, you know, where do we go from here? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because a lot of these builders, and, and if you do look in the outer markets, you're watching them build, you know, they'll put a semi-detached on a 20-foot wide lot, So they'll, you know, but they'll do them side by side. So they'll use up a 40-foot lot, but they'll squeeze in your semis, right? Um, if you were to then ask for a uh, separation, let's say we talk about uh, Oakville, for instance, you know, if you had a 40-foot lot, they won't allow you to put two semis on that. Okay, that goes back to what you just mentioned. You've got the old official plan still in play here. And so you can't, you can't increase the density because of this, because they're not allowing it. Right. So, and, and so, again, you know, one of, the, one of the biggest things is that when we talk about some of these older neighborhoods, can we increase the density there without, you know, being affected by the municipality? We should be able to. And, and that's our position. Let's update the zoning bylaws. Let's look at the way people are living. Let's look at the demands on real estate. Let's look at all these new people that are coming into the GTA. Where are we going to house these, these people? And let's assume you can sever that law, Todd. Let's say you, you have the good fortune. Now let's talk about all these development charges that municipalities levy. I was right? just going to ask you that question because in your in in the four point plan, make sure government fees, taxes, and charges are fair. But I heard that um, the newest some of the newest levies that are being put on builders nowadays is almost increasing each individual unit by twenty thousand dollars in extra taxes just for the building of a unit from one year to the next. Well, if it was twenty thousand. We'd be happy, but let me give you a, a snapshot of what the government's proposing. So if you have a lot and you've severed it and you want to build two houses where one was, your development fees and charges for that second house will go up from a little over $40,000 for that new house to over eighty. Wow. That's just development charges. Then you have your educational levies. Right. Right. Then you have your parkland in lieu, what's called parkland in lieu. So for every house that you create you have to give some kind of honorarium to the city for green space. Right. And these fees, in total, come to over $120,000 for new housing, per, per dwelling. And then, wow. and then, you know, 
we talk about affordability. Well, I can tell you the municipal level of government has done its fair share to make sure that houses are not as affordable as they ought to be. Right. You know, this, this, is, this is one of the biggest problems is that, you know, with all these fees, what's the government doing with all the money? I mean, like they are, they're, they're taking a pant load, but meanwhile, they're constantly saying that, oh, we need more taxes, we need more money, you know, and yet we're not seeing the result. And there's been such a, you know, a building boom over the last few years. Okay. perspective. From the government standpoint, they need money from, for infrastructure, for sewers and water and roads and public transit and green space. We understand that. But let's look at the bigger picture. Why are we imposing all these additional development charges and fees on new developments? What does that mean? It means that the new home buyer is paying a disproportionate share of all these services. For example, a sewer system and road on Finch Avenue benefits everybody. Right. So at one level, municipal governments just simply don't have the political will to say these are public goods and the cost should be spread or amortized over the largest possible base meaning property taxes right. we can't have property tax increases of two percent a year and claim look you know we've done our job we haven't increased them by nine or ten percent and then by the same token start increasing development charges by 120 percent a year Sure. You can't have it both ways. And at the end of the day, if you don't use the fire department, you're still expected to pay taxes to support the fire department yeah. and the police department. If you don't have a child in the school system, you're still expected to pay taxes to support that school system. Why is infrastructure any different? Why don't we say to the electorate, just like we did not long ago for the water department, you know, the city of Toronto said, we need to catch up with infrastructure here to make sure everyone has clean, potable drinking water. We need to increase rates by 9% a year for the next five years. And people bought into that. Why can't we do that with infrastructure? Yeah, no, it's a great point because, I mean, as you said, it's making it tougher and tougher for builders to put out affordable living and that's making it tough um one of the things that uh, i i do notice about this article that you've got um obviously fund and build critical infrastructure which what we just basically covered but cutting red tape you know that that's the one you know you and i were just talking about you know the development of you know let's say i want to knock down a house today or or when when i should be looking at it you said you know you you need to plan even if you're going to demo a house and build a new house two years probably a good a good number yeah. to look at I, I and think that's just for right. a residential home. So let's look at a resident. Let's look at what a lot of people are doing these days. So they buy a home because it's affordable. Their family grows. They want to do an addition, either an extension at the rear of the house or a second floor. So the process is, has become so cumbersome, it can take up to 48 weeks to get a building permit. By the time you make your application and you wait for the city to give you the list of variances, and then you wait for your committee of adjustments hearing, which can take up to six months these days. And then by the time the permit is issued, and that's assuming you don't have any issues with ravine and conservation authorities. Mm -hmm. If you do, good luck to you. Sure. But if you don't, and you're still waiting almost a year for a permit, that's just not right. And it's not like we have any other alternative to go to. The city regulates and controls this process. They're the only ones who issue building permits. We can't go anywhere else. So if the demand is there, the city has to do a far better job of accommodating that demand and making sure people don't wait crazy time periods for permits. And as a matter of fact, the legislation itself, Todd, says that the city has 10 working days, two weeks to give you a permit or a reason why they can't give you a permit. 
right? <laughs> so because they couldn't meet that timeline, they created these crazy rules and saying, well, you need a zoning certificate for that to be in place. And if it's taking you 10 to 12 weeks to get a zoning certificate, the city's already in violation. The Planning Act says that you should get your Committee of Adjustments hearing in 45, and I believe it's 45 days. Well, we're waiting six months. Wow. Well, listen, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. Listening to you, it is, you know, it makes me wonder what this new, uh, this election is going to hold for us. And I think it's going to be interesting. I'm going to have you come back, um, you know, once we see what happens with the province and you and I can talk more about this. Um, Giancarlo, uh, best way for people to reach you if they need to? At uh, fairsidehomes.com. Excellent. Listen, always a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Todd. It's been a pleasure. Folks, stay with us. I'll be right back with Greg Benell from BNN. You're listening to Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. Simply Real Estate with Todd C. Slater on News Talk 1010. And welcome back. Um, you know, I, I have to say, it's always a pleasure to have John Carlo on with me uh, talking about build and what's going on in the construction world in the GTA. You know, folks, it, one of the things that you can do to maybe improve inventory is make sure that you get out and vote. Uh, I'm not going to tell you which direction to vote, but our current existing government is definitely not promoting the idea of building more. They have more of an effect on the actual value of your property, and they figure that if they can make it affordable by driving your your value down, that that's going to help. But what are you going to do with those 100,000 people that are going to immigrate into the area every single year? Got to find some place for them to live, and this is why Build is going to you know keep pushing to make sure things get a little bit easier. Um, but joining me now is uh, Greg Benell from being in Bloomberg and always a pleasure to have him on the show and uh, Greg welcome back always great to be here Todd so uh, a lot going on in the news this week not just real estate related but you know we can talk about the mortgages and what's going on banks releasing uh, some of their earnings reports for the second quarter they're, yeah. saying, they're, they're saying they're saying they're doing okay are they, you know, they they always find a way to make money right that's the, <laughs> that's the thing about Canadian banks and as business journalists we always go into every quarter of earnings saying what's gonna trip them up. Of course, when oil came off, it was going to be sour oil loans. So heading into this one, and this week we've uh, got a few of the big ones already, everyone was worried about the mortgage business. After the B20 rules kicked in, the more stringent stress tests, what would happen to the mortgage books? So CIBC was interesting. They're the first of the gate because we know when it comes to the big Bay Street banks, CIBC really has some people call it like oversized exposure to Canadian housing, and they've just sort of been running ahead of all the other banks in terms of generating new mortgages with Canadians. So year over year, it was still a healthy number. They still uh, booked 6% more mortgages. There was growth in their mortgage loan book, but that's actually their slowest growth in three years. And from quarter over quarter, I know I started to get a little busy business talking now, but from the end of last year, basically, to the beginning of this year, it sort of flattened out. So by no means a, a crash for the bank or did it hit the bottom line? No, they all come out, they all beat the estimates, and everyone says, wow, the banks know how to make money. But it is interesting that, that the, the lender with the most skin in the game, I guess, the most exposure in Canada, did see a bit of a flattening out. And it makes sense if people were priced out of the market, or even when they bring in the rule changes, we talk about the psychological effect. Even though the rule itself perhaps shouldn't be as detrimental to the action in the market, people will step back and say, what's going on? I don't want to be 
the fool who went and played the game after the game was over. So it, it makes a little bit of sense that it cooled out. Royal Bank came out and they said, yeah, don't worry about it. Uh, we don't see a big uh, impact on our, our mortgage loan growth. But at the same time, we know that Royal about a year ago, and maybe just taking a look at the market and not being comfortable with the Canadian market, as they put it, they took their foot off the gas paddle a little bit when it came to trying to generate new mortgages in Toronto and Vancouver. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you, you brought up the point about CIBC having the biggest skin in the game. I do know that, you know, they're very aggressive in the um, real estate market and residential home and, and, and condominiums. But one of the things that with this new stress test in place, I think that, uh, you know, them keeping their book at least at the same level is a lot easier because with the stress test, if you're going to jump lenders right now, it means that potentially you have to qualify at a higher interest rate um, because they're not they're not extending it over they're not doing a rollover with it which means that hey listen you're you you were qualified before so we're just going to you know you're just renewing your mortgage so right now i think we're going to see a lot of people staying put with their existing lenders just out of necessity yeah a lot of people who don't make their money off of the big bank uh <laughs> mortgage lending have cried foul at that saying yeah, that's exactly the point todd that before you used to be able to say hmm, my mortgage is coming up for renewal and you could shop it. Yeah, you, know? you could shop Remember, it. Greg, like, yeah. you could turn around and say, go to TD and say, well, RBC's doing, uh, sorry, uh, you know, TD and RBC, you guys are doing this and this, and they go to CIBC and say, can you better it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, better, and they and they probably would, and at least you could take that back, and maybe you didn't even leave your bank, but you took it back and said, look what those guys are willing to offer me, but now that your point's exactly right on it. So many people are angry about this. The stress tests mean they, the, your bank can say, oh, you want to leave? Go ahead, leave. We're not going to stress test you to renew your mortgage, but they probably will. And maybe you won't be able to get a mortgage with them. Or <laughs> So you can sort of get locked in and competitive advantage for you as the consumer starts to go away. So that's definitely one of those uh, side effects that some people aren't very happy about. Yeah, and understandably. So maybe we should reach out to the consumer protection and talk about some kind of monopoly that being being established. And, you know, a little bit of a, the Competition Act saying that, hey, listen, you know, we get jammed because we have to stay with the same lender. I mean, there's got to be something can be done you know this is this this to me I think is going to be especially with the amount of mortgages I think we're looking at 48% of mortgages are renewing this year I think that's the, the the stat that came out apparently this is a big year for it and just because a lot of people were surfing around with you know variables short terms things like that and apparently this is going to be a big year for renewal so it means that if you're placed you know if, if, if CIBC is looking at decent profit you know or RBC pretty much they know ironclad they're gonna stick with that and any little bit of scraps they get from the table, you know, are just going to help them. I think on the other side of it too, that the banks have to be careful in thinking it's a slam dunk advantage. Because uh, say in my situation, someone came to me and my current lender and said, well, you know what? You don't want to go get stress tested across the street, do you? And, and get a better deal? Stick with us. Life is easier. And you're like, and I'm, I'm in a situation because I'm, you know, I'm a bit older and I've got some money put away, hopefully. Then I was, you know what? I'm going to pass that stress test. So, uh, so don't threaten me that way. So I think there's a bit of a dance there, right? Some people are definitely going to be stuck in a very hard place. So Greg, one of the questions I, I, I wanted to ask you today is the fact that, you know, the upcoming election, you know, we're, we're basically two weeks away. You know, we're, we're hearing an NDP surge into it we're hearing that you know the liberals may even lose party status i mean there's all sorts of things going on um if you were to analyze financially in the real estate market each party um you know you and i go back and forth on this stuff all the time you know what what the the existing government has been doing is not working um you know i don't i i don't think they're they're being smart enough increasing supply by controlling it that way they'd rather control the actual financial markets and drive you know push people's heads down as opposed to give more inventory is there is there you know is there logic behind any other party at this time 
Uh, you know what? It's so hard to know right now exactly what Doug Ford plans to do because we don't have a platform yet. We have a lot of stump speeches. We have a lot of you know meetings and town halls and stuff, and you get a feeling a feeling of where he might be, but you don't know. Like as uh, as a journalist, I want to I want to see the platform. I want to be able to go through it and see the promise. I mean, and still, even if you have a platform in front of you and it's a bunch of promises, they're only promises. Once they get in government, things might change, but we don't even have those concrete details yet about exactly what he would do. And it's, and it's hard because remember the whole Greenbelt thing, right? Yeah, there I was, was, there was that say, report yeah. saying he's going to open up the Greenbelt and then within a day say, no way I'm going to open up the Greenbelt. So I don't think we know where he stands. Uh, as far as uh, the new Democrats go and the surge in the polls, I'm thinking about all this. I used to be assigned to the Ontario desk at, when I was at the Canadian Press for 16 years and eventually I ran the, the Ontario desk. And there's always this point in the election where the NDP starts to really get high in the polls. But, you know, about two weeks out and people say, you know, maybe them. Maybe her, maybe him, maybe them. Uh, by polling day, though, everything seems to go back to either conservatives or liberals. Unless you're talking about Bob Ray, but God, yeah, I was, I was, just in, uni- say I was Bob in university Ray. then. That was a long Bob time Ray. ago. Greg, Bob Ray. I yeah. want all our <laughs> listeners to say Bob Ray together, you know, because the problem, the problem that, you know, a lot of things that happened, I mean, real estate market absolutely died under the Bob Ray government and the implementation of the rent control, which absolutely threw the whole supply of apartments into the GTA just went awry. Nobody was, in fact, literally, when he turned around and put that in place, they stopped building purpose-built apartment buildings altogether for the better part of 20 years. So when we talk about inventory, you know, we have to also look at what some of the mandate is with some of these parties and say, look at folks, we need inventory. Forget about the stress test for a minute. We need inventory. This will control the market and nobody seems to understand this. The pendulum always seems to swing so rapidly. I've talked to economists who, were in the, when they were looking at what the Ontario government, the current government did about rent control a year ago, said, we're not against rent control, but don't set the number so low. Then you take away the, the incentive for people to build those apartment buildings. Find a healthy medium where the consumer is protected from someone who's predatory, but where for people who are actually going to build these things for people to live in will say, I want to build it. I'm going to make some money. Like You can't take that profit motive out of the market and expect anyone to build anything for anyone. They just thought the number was too low. They set the bar too low. Yeah. I don't know. You know, um, if, if you're a betting man, I mean, you, you, you follow this uh, probably a little tighter than me. Who's going to, uh, who's going to make up the next provincial government? Oh, you know what? It's just so interesting now that uh, the NDP and the, the, the Conservatives are neck to neck. I, I will only say that if the Liberals manage to pull this off somehow, it is going to be a miracle. I can't see how they can do it after 15 years of being in power. The thing about any government being in power for that long, that's a long time to make mistakes. That's a long time to make people angry. If Kathleen Wynne pulls this off, people are going to have to like study the campaign. <laughs> it's, it's like yeah, some sort of, sort of miracle moment for Western politics. Yeah, and, and one of the parts I think that we have to look at, obviously, is you know the current status um, or state of real estate, the economy, everything else. I mean, it's great that we can be promised all these things. Somebody's got to pay for it. And the real question is, is it going to be the consumer? Is it going to be your greatest asset that's going to pay for these things? You know, this this is one of my concerns. Well, the thing that's changed a lot for this campaign from where we were when the federal liberals won 
you know, for three and a half, four years ago was that they campaigned on going into deficit. And I thought that would drive Bay Street nuts when we had them on, you know, BNN. We were BNN at the time, now we're BNN Bloomberg. When we had them on, thought they would go crazy. And they said, you know what? Borrowing costs are at record lows. If there is a time to go into debt, to stimulate the economy and to build things, that time is now. But the time has changed. Interest rates are going higher. The bond market, you know, that's borrowing getting is getting more expensive there. That's where the government turns to the bond market to get its money. So it's not the same game that it was several years ago. When so go ahead, take the cheap money, do something for the economy. Now people are looking at the debt levels and saying this is getting uh, uh, you know pretty dangerous, and your cost of borrowing is moving higher. Yeah. Hey, listen, Greg, always a pleasure to have you on. And our uh, our listeners can tune in to the BNN Bloomberg Network uh, every day during the week at 2 p.m. for Real Economy. So thanks so much for having you on. Uh, great to be here. So that was Greg Bunnell from BNN Bloomberg. Always a pleasure to have Greg on the show. You know, he's got a really good take on what's going on from the economy and real estate. So it's always a pleasure. Also, I want to thank John Carlos Safidis from Build. Uh, you know what? They make a good point. We need inventory and less red tape. I hope that there's a provincial government that we're going to be heading into that's going to assist everybody in this, make our housing uh, a little bit more affordable, but make a lot more of it. By the way, I want to thank my producers this week, Andre and Ian. They make it simple, as they do every single week for me. And I want to thank you for tuning in. It's always a pleasure to talk about real estate. Of course, my favorite subject. So I'm going to be back next Saturday at 3 p.m. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.